Hello and welcome to the TFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe Devine. Hello, how are you? Very well, thank you. That was an exciting second half of football, wasn't it, Alex Stewart? Uh, yeah, it certainly picked up from a very boring first half. Do you, yeah, it was. It, the, the, the sort of change between first and second half was very extreme, wasn't it? Yeah, I felt like I was wading through quicksand to start yeah. with and then suddenly things happened. I was actually annoyed <laughs> by how boring it was. Incandescent. I couldn't. I felt I couldn't get to grips with the first game of the day, uh, which was uh, Netherlands versus Czech Republic. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on in today's podcast. Second one, I had big hopes for because it's one. You know, it was the big draw of mm. the round of sixteen, apart from England Germany, and uh, it really stuck. I mean, we'll we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But there's me. only been one game that's been a big game that's really kind of taken off, hasn't it? Uh, France Germany. Oh, I like oh. Germany Portugal. Germany Portugal four two. That yeah. was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, but it was still. Mm, it didn't. It didn't grab goals. me in the same way. Six goals didn't grab you. <sighs> goals are overrated. You know what the problem was in that game? The uh, the the tactical uh, ineptitude was too obvious. <laughs> so Alex yeah. spotted it immediately it was, and then we, was bored. It all was of us like flaws. There weren't different you know, there weren't things. Layman flaws. If we all liked the same things, Joe, life sure. would be very boring. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but there is one thing that everyone here likes, oh, that and was, that's the that athletic. Thank you. That's the athletic. If you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you'll find that there'll be a fantastic deal there waiting for you to check it out. And I can't remember what it is right now, but it's one of two things, and they're both very good. So there we go. Get 30 days free at the moment, I think. Is it? Yes, it is. Okay, yes, it fine. Is. You can get a 30-day free trial if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. And uh, I hope if you do that, you'll enjoy reading something I very much enjoyed reading this morning, which was Michael Cox on uh, the uh, head of the England-Germany game, talking about how England could match Germany up in a 3-4-3, Alex. Uh, yes, that was interesting. Mm. Do you know what I also thought was really interesting? What's that now? Was James Horncastle's piece on Italy's set-piece specialist. Mm. Hey, that was great. Which that was, was fantastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. And that Rawls is not of approval all round. It's not the kind of article you'd read anywhere else. Can mm-hmm. I, I feel I, like I'm shilling when I say that, but it no, is I think true. that's okay. I I want to plug George Corkin's article. He did a a piece with all the England penalty takers and some from other countries who've also had bad yeah. penalty shootout experiences. George is one of my favourite writers, uh, even before he got to the Athletic. Uh, very stylish, very interesting, does unusual things, um, very compelling to read. But this was all about sort of the psychology of of walking up to the penalty spot, missing and everything that goes, everything that follows, basically. So all the trauma and what you have to live with thereafter. Fascinating. Really good. I feel like you could identify with Hollowed eyes. Too much. Anyway, boss, it's the bottom of the the barrel for me. Uh, But that's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. 30-day free trial. I highly encourage you to check it out. You've got nothing to lose. Anyway, as I said, we're going to talk today about, uh, we're going to kick things off with Belgium, uh, Belgium, Portugal, um, and we're going to talk about Netherlands, Czech Republic a little bit later on too. Two uh, interesting games, differing in the ways that they were interesting. And we will discover that now, as I leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Alex Stewart and Sebastian Stafford-Law. Okay, beginning uh, with Belgium 1, nil Portugal. Um, The second half, Seb. What a delightful, a delicious second half. Of course, now we know that Belgium are going to head to Munich and a quarter-final clash with Italy. Uh, But Seb, 
You actually thought Portugal were the better team on the night. Sure did, Joe. Uh, I thought this was the Portugal we've all been waiting to see. And we didn't get to see it until after they had fallen behind. to a very good goal. And then you saw all the urgency and all the technique and tight spaces. And it was, to me, it was, it's what you want tournament football to look like in the knockout rounds. It was yeah. tension. Belgium, after about 60 minutes, I mean, they started playing as if it was the 85th minute with about 30 minutes to go. Yeah. Just hacking the ball forward. And asking. I mean, I'm, I'm living for that last 20 minutes now. It was great. In it every was- game. So like uh, to now, from now on. That's the best thing about this is that the last 10 minutes of every game, hopefully, unless it's already out of the water, should be like that. Well, also because that was the point at which Portugal threw caution to the wind. And every time every time a, a Belgian defender would head the ball clear or, you know, hack the ball out of the penalty box, it would fall to Cristiano Ronaldo, João Felix, Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes. So you felt this kind of th- this impending danger wherever the ball was. Even yeah. at one point, Diogo Dalot was um, playing as kind of, it seemed to be furthest forward of all the Portuguese players at one point, yeah. um, which was interesting. But it was it had that desperation, jeopardy, but desperation, and there was quality too. And it they couldn't quite find that final ball, which was really frustrating. They had a post about five minutes to go, didn't they? They did, but they didn't they didn't create that one clear chance they needed. They had yeah. um, the uh, the header from the corner went straight out Thibaut Courtois. But it was... Joao Felix uh, just passed the post to Yeah, him. absolutely. Bruno Fernandes caught one quite nicely that went over the bar. Mm-hmm. But it felt as if this was... It was kind of deserved because Portugal had been very conservative, certainly in their selection. I think this, if ever this was true, this was a case of a team not really knowing what their best choice 11 was going into a tournament and trying to kind of scrabble that together as the games went on instead of learning by failure or, or disappointing... Not failure, but disappointing performances. And you feel a little bit like you've been cheated out of what might have been quite a fun team to watch in the knockout rounds. Yeah. Um, I think part of that is because uh, we've talked about the unusual draw and how uh, very big sides have been thrown together at a very early stage. Yeah. In our, under normal circumstances or with a sort of a, a, a kind of draw, Portugal might have had the chance to sort of tune up and get stronger as the performance went, as the tournament went on. But um, Euro 2020 is a harsh world. Some parallels with England there, I feel, as you're talking. Perhaps we can come back to that later. And indeed, we'll come back to uh, to Portugal later mm-hmm. too. Uh, but Alex, I want to take things over to to Belgium now because they weren't great tonight, were they? They weren't. And and it was odd because uh, I would say Vermaelen aside, who came into the back line, that was very much what you would expect their ideal lineup to be. So Aidan Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne playing off Romelu Lukaku with De Bruyne pushing through the centre when they were pressing, Lukaku pulling out wide right, which is something Martinez has done before internationally, but also at Everton, mm. so that he can attack that channel uh, as a kind of long out ball. And the midfield of Witzel and Tielemans, like they should have kind of found their groove again, because that was, you know, obviously they had injuries enforced on them, um, but this is what, you know, the team they would have wanted to play. And it looked really sloppy a lot of the time. They weren't connecting with their passes. Uh, they looked a bit tired. Yeah, De Bruyne was dropping really deep because Portugal had this three in midfield. Mm. I know we'll come on to talk about Portugal's midfield, but that that 3v2 is something that, that we've been talking about uh, in terms of a lot of teams that use wingbacks. The downside is that you tend to have a double pivot in midfield. Mm. And that means if you're playing a team that has three in midfield, you need to compensate somehow for this. Um and that meant De Bruyne was dropping back 
kind of more towards the left-hand side rather than pushing up into the right half space. What that meant is that when Belgium advanced the ball, particularly on the right-hand side, it wasn't zipping around in the way that it normally does for them. Everything was a bit more laboured, a bit slower. Yeah. Uh, and it just felt disjointed. It felt like maybe Hazard was rushed back a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think De Bruyne was doing something that in the context of the game made sense in terms of trying to get that numerical balance uh, in the midfield. Yeah. But it also meant that they lacked a certain go-forwards in attack. Lukaku yeah. looked quite isolated. Um, and if I were Italy, I would be thinking, this is not so bad. I mean, again, we'll come on to talk about this, but particularly with what looks like a couple of uh, uh, significant injuries, we should say, for, yeah. uh, for Belgium. Um, Alex mentioned Lukaku there, who yeah. did look isolated throughout the game. He did a fine job of making being isolated not look that bad, though. I mean, he wasn't fantastic in front of goal this evening, but and he doesn't ordinarily play in, in this sort of target man role. He did a really good job of it tonight, didn't he? I thought so. Uh, he didn't really have much chance to be great in front of goal tonight, but I thought that um, given that when the ball reached him, a couple times, particularly in the second half, where there was maybe 30, 40 yards between him and the supporting players. His, I mean, not just his hold-up play, because that's a kind of, that's that's something we know he does well. He can he can trap the ball and he can he can guard it and he can protect from defenders. I think a couple of his, um, a couple of his headers were excellent yeah. out wide. You know, yeah. so he, he would be, he would be targeted down sort of maybe down the left-hand channel and he'd win a header against occasionally Ruben Diaz, I guess, Pepe. These are proper centre-halves who mean business will happily go through the back of a back of a centre forward. But he found his man and um he started counterattacks which broke down, but not through any fault of his own. And if it, it seemed as if if Portugal if if um if Belgium were to get a second goal, then it was gonna come from that kind of moment because it was as if they gave up looking for it after a you know very yeah. very shortly into the second half, which was really disappointing. But um he was great and I, I think it's also it's a it's a good excuse to talk about his evolution because I think that the common mistake is to think that he is the same player who left England. And I think that's to do him a disservice. It's certainly to do um, the progress he's made over the last couple of years a disservice because he is a much better player. Like all What's of these, happened? I think his vision with the ball is better. I think his finishing has improved. I think more than anything else, he feels appreciated. I think the issue for him at Manchester United might have been that he, whenever he started... There was a conversation about the quality of his finishing and about his his um, his justification for being in yeah. the the first eleven. Whereas now, like Inter Milan, don't win the Scudetto without Romelu Lukaku. Right? Yeah, I know Lautaro Martinez is a, a fabulous player, but Lukaku is is a is the kind of the the um, the emblem of that league win. And I just he every little area of his game has become neater, tighter. Um, a little bit smarter here and there. Like he's become a he's he's become a far better centre forward than I ever thought he would do, and he's legitimately one of the very very best in the world now. Which is it's great to see because I, I love I love seeing um, a player's progress. Mm. You when when a player first arrives onto the scene, you think that the trick is well that the trap is to think this is who he is forever. Yeah, he makes a first impression and you stick to it, and from that point on, you decide whether he's good or bad. Whereas Lukaku is someone who has suffered a lot of criticism. And sometimes that's been justified, particularly when he's a young player. But he's improved the different departments of his game to the point where there are no more criticisms left. It's a really yeah. interesting story, I think. 
I think what's interesting as well is that so ITV showed a really nice montage of Lukaku's kind of forward skill set before that game. And it featured a lot of running in behind. It featured a lot of him using his body to shield the ball. Uh, Ian Wright had a delightful phrase for it, which I won't repeat. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) what we didn't see in this game was Belgium trying to service that aspect of what Lukaku does well. Mm. And so he was forced into being much more of a link player. Like Seb said, these sort of little cushioned headers trying to bring other players into the game. And again, I think that was a, a weakness of of Belgium in terms of you've got this incredible weapon up front, you know, someone who can run through, who has the the pace, but also the touch uh, to be able to take it past players and then shoot and hold players off. And Belgium just kind of resorted to pumping balls into that right half space channel. I and it it, it was weird. It was like an abdication of was everything. This before that, or after the goal, or was it? You know, it was fairly game. consistent throughout. And and the thing is, if you if you watch Belgium ahead of this tournament, and even in some of the earlier games, they've not really masterfully clicked so far. But yeah. you can see Belgium's repeated kind of patterns, the effort to form triangles or diamonds in the wide areas, the use of aggressive wing backs, certain kinds of passing that happen from, you know, them bringing the ball in field and Tielemann spraying it around. And it's all there, all the pieces are there to do that. And that's what took them to the number one slot in the world in terms of the FIFA rankings. They just haven't produced that in the same sort of way with the same sort of precision and pace yeah. that the, they are normally able to do. Despite, And that's where Lukaku really thrives. But it was nice to see him adapting today, kind of almost like, okay, well, if, if this is what I'm going to get, this is what I'm going to have to do. Mm. Another thing we haven't mentioned uh, so far was that uh, Thomas Vermaelen started the game. And I think their back three probably has uh, a cumulative age of greater than most back fours in the tournament. Vertonghen and Alderweireld as well, right? Yeah, they did well, though. I mean... So I haven't seen him. For, I thought he was retired, to I be didn't, I must admit, I didn't know he made the squad. I, yeah. I haven't been aware of Thomas Vermaelen for a really long time. Uh, what I'd say, though, is because of... In a way, because, because of how Belgium played, which was... To, to retreat and drop very, very deep after they scored, it sort of suited them because you yeah. didn't have those spaces behind Vertonghen or Alderweireld, or I guess for Marlon as well, yeah. uh, which could be exploited because you've got a lot of players who, um, okay, probably not, not a lot of natural width, but a lot of players that there's a lot of motion, there's a lot of movement, potentially overlapping players on the outside. And, and Portugal never really managed to exploit that. And all they ended up doing really, uh, even from dangerous positions, was finding the edge of the six-yard box and invariably the forehead of Alderweireld, Vertonghen yeah. or Vermaelen. I And actually, that's not easy to do. I, we, we say yeah, as sure. if it's kind of simple stuff and it's sort of yeah. defensive cheating. It's not. It's, Focus, it's anticipation. Yeah. yeah, they're in those positions for a reason yeah. and they anticipate. And when you've got players like Cristiano Ronaldo around you who not only... Who antici- barely had a sniff in the last 20 minutes. Like every yeah. chance that Portugal had fell exactly. to a different player and you've got to think that's not an accident. That's not, well, because if... if it's you know if if you're gonna if you're gonna concede a goal maybe the rule in that situation is anyone can score except Ronaldo. <laughs> Just if you take Ronaldo away and you ask somebody else to find the goal, that's a good starting point. Do you think the halftime team talk was don't let him get his record? Maybe I don't Could know if be. it was that spiteful, no. but it was. I I was impressed, spiteful. particularly because if you if you launch balls into that area around the penalty <laughs> spot, we know about Ronaldo's vertical yeah. spring. 
and how high he can get and how it's long like he can It's like a cloud. Hang. It's amazing to watch. Yeah. And that was never a factor. I'm sure everybody that's listening to this or viewing this has seen the the slow motion video of Cristiano Ronaldo oh, against jumping against Sampdoria. Against Sampdoria, yeah, but yeah. if you if you you know if you're the one or two people that haven't, do have a look for it. It's, I mean, he just keeps getting higher and higher. It's uh, I haven't. It's seen horrifying. That. Can I can I throw a little spitball? Have you not seen it? No. Oh, I'm going to show, I'm gonna show you it. as soon as this is finished. It's unbelievable. Just he just is extremely slow. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the footage is, is is slowed down. I mean. And he just rises and rises and rises and rises to the point where his like thigh is the height of the next person's yeah. head, and yeah. that person's jumping. So it's like it's unbelievable, and it, yeah, it's, it's, I'll, I'll show you afterwards. But here's a sort of spitball question, Go Seb, on. right? Even Belgium can be a bit negative in in or conservative, we should say. This is in going to be Europe, about England, isn't right? it? Well, no, no, it's not going to be about England, but okay. we're going to include England in it as a team that uh, that are doing that. In fact. Most teams, right, with the exception mm. perhaps of France, in some cases France playing a slightly uh, counter-attacking way. Anyway, so there's an argument you can make there. I feel like what I might be missing that I get in the World Cup is like Brazil and Argentina, who just don't ever do that. Or is that right? Well, Argentina, or am I romanticizing I, I, things? Well, I, I think I think that's kind of an outdated perception of what yeah. those teams are. Like Brazil and oh. Argentina have kind of become a little more <laughs> rugged. But I understand, like, sure. I understand what you're getting. You're missing yeah. the flair that you associate with those teams from the past. I want teams yeah, that are just, like, that just want to go and, I don't know what I'm Play. saying. You know what I'm saying? I want, yeah, I want to see them. I want to see them. I want to watch hope. I want to see hope manifest in football players' performances. And what I see now is sort of like... Um, you want recklessness. I want recklessness. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, what I don't want is sort of calculated risk. I want Sweden. It's a bit like the difference between, uh, you know, back before the financial crash when everybody gave money to everyone <laughs> and then like the insurance um, uh, industry afterwards, you know. You I feel like yeah, this is toxic loan. Like fisherman again, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want toxic <laughs> loans and I don't want, you know, um, re-re-insurance. But tournament football <laughs> always has... The, the reason that those teams stick out to us... Yeah isn't necessarily because they do well. It's sure. because they're unusual. Yeah. And there should be a trophy for those teams. The, yes. I mean, the, it, the Helter Skelter trophy. Right. Presented uh, by Alton Towers or something, um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Can't, um, yeah, maybe. Um, but it's like tournament football generally doesn't want this to happen. You know, yeah. it's, it's not a sensible way to go about trying to win a tournament, particularly when after the season that we've had, you know, like pressing games are very, very common now in, in top flight yeah. football across Europe, but there's been very little pressing in this tournament. And they're tired. Because, and, they're, and this is why they're, yeah. they're tired. They're sitting deep. They're creating blocks, but because it's international football, they're also often not creating those blocks as well as they might do. Yeah. And yeah. so the people that are doing well out of this tournament are, penetrative long passes mm -hmm. and target men yeah and and neither of those things i mean you know the occasional long ball or, or kind of really nicely glided pass against a back four is good yeah but it's not the kind of trickery and stuff that gets people out of their seat i mean i guess kevin de bruyne and lukaku which game was it where they really showed us what they had you know was it game two it was against denmark game three denmark? Against denmark when the yeah. uh in the comeback win over denmark that was exciting uh, that was exciting. You know, you know what's really interesting is that um, if you were to award your Helter Skelter trophy at the moment, mm. you'd probably give it to one of Italy or Germany 
Yeah. Which is quite interesting. I'd give it to Germany. Italy well, aren't conceding enough goals Germany for, for, are the, for the Helter Skelter. Germany, Germany yeah. are just, they're like, um, you know, you know they're the, having fun. Well, the fights in Rocky where no one blocks, yeah. they just swing punches. It's yeah. like that. And yeah. it's, um, I know Italy were a little bit more reserved last night, but they've been probably, they've had the greatest pace to their play. Mm-hmm. And Germany know, are smart enough to recognize that they're not great defensively, so they have to attack. And so there's a little bit of, yeah, a little bit of recklessness to their play. And that's not what you'd, you'd associate when you when you think of those teams in major tournaments you think of caution and slow building and these are you know slightly yeah. outdated assumptions particularly with germany mm-hmm. um but it's yeah it's just this, is, this is why i said and I, I will only say this before we go to a break but i'll make it about england for a moment okay i kind of wish that germany would score one goal early on in that game just so that we could see what england are made of when they go behind because we saw it today like the most exciting bit of football today was the last 30 minutes, as you said, of the Portugal-Belgium game when Portugal needed to score a goal. Yeah. And that was exciting. Then we got to see their uh, attacking players. They made some... Well, we'll, I'll tell you what, we'll come after the break and we'll talk about that. Uh, so be back in a mo. Okay, we're back. Uh, let's talk about what I was just saying. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that... Seamless. And that was that Portugal, Alex, um, appeared to change their entire midfield throughout the tournament, didn't they? They did. And they did like some very progressive changes towards the end of this game. But let's start with game one and move to this game number four, is it? Yeah. Uh, Because it's entirely different. So I wrote it down because otherwise I would forget. Yeah. Um, So William Carvalho, uh, Danilo and Bruno Fernandes start Mm -hmm. the first two games as a kind of two plus one. But that is a very, very deep two. Yeah. That's a two that is sat as close really to... The, the back four as is possible to be to try and yeah. create this really impenetrable square again doing things with my hands on a podcast sure pointless. sure um he was doing a square i was doing a square which i said can i interrupt to ask whether you do you rate you? william carvalho um i he's a weird player right you're right because i remember when everyone was really excited about him and he was getting linked with big moves and then I think what happened was that suddenly the pace of a lot of top flight football particularly in England went up two or three gears largely as a result of Liverpool and Man City in England and very quick pressing and transitional stuff became more important than solidity and screening and he's not applied for those systems at all I think he would I think he he does well in Spain and that probably is his kind of natural home where pressing is slightly lower among Mm. other sides. Um, He's tidy, like he distributes the ball fairly well. He's very skillful, but he just, everything he does, he seems to do slowly. Is that fair? Yeah, no, I would describe him and Danilo as ponderous. Yeah, that's a better word. It's all quite at half speed. It's often accurate, Yeah, but if you're looking to zip the ball around, and this is one of the issues... So in their next game, it was Martinho, Danilo and Sanchez, Renato Sanchez. And, and one of the reasons for this is that if you're Portugal, you've got this super exciting attacking lineup, apparently, with Ronaldo and Bernardo Silva and Diego Jota. And the ball is just not getting to them in mm. the first two games because everything is slow and it's sideways. And this is yeah. the major criticism of Fernando Santos is that he is a boring and conservative coach, that everything is safety first. And Portugal's got all of this talent, but it never unleashes it. Now, in that game against Hungary, when Renato Sanchez came on, 
and immediately injected pace and impetus over the last 10 minutes, you can see how that person pushing forwards to link rather than Bruno Fernandes trying to drop off to link was much, much more effective. Moutinho gives you a bit more control in terms of your passing range and you still have an anchor man. And then for this game, Sanchez and Moutinho stay and then you get Palinia come in and mm. he did quite well against France, I think. There bit was, of a hatchet man. Yeah, he. I mean... He's physical. He's physical, he's tall, yeah. um, but he has moments of skill. There was one carry in the France game that even I kind of went, oh, that was, you know, there's a sort of a little sidestep and a shimmy, which is not something you expect from a fairly brutish defensive yeah. midfielder. Um, and I totally understand the need for a player like that in a team but when you've got one who can also do a little bit extra and carry the ball forwards and spray a pass around, like a Declan Rice, for example, yeah. who I think you know is quite restricted in his England role, but certainly has those uh, those skills when he plays for West Ham, then you get a bit more balance and a bit more progression. And and the ideal midfield in a three has one of those then has a player who can pass the ball and keep the tempo of the game going and then has another player who can be the one who pushes forwards, bursts either into the 10 slot or into one of the half spaces. And that's kind of Italy's midfield. Uh, we're going to have to shuffle on a little bit here. So we make time this evening. because right. we, okay. we, we accidentally ran 20 minutes long yesterday because we started after extra time and no one had any idea what time it was. Uh, but Seb, what I want to ask you about is, uh, we mentioned it earlier, Belgium uh, appear to, and we don't know the news because we've literally just finished watching the game, but uh, both uh, Ed Nazard and uh, Kevin De Bruyne were substituted off during this game with uh, Azard definitely looked like a hamstring injury. KDB yeah. was, it's a little unclear. It's an ankle what it was. injury. Was so it an ankle injury? It was a, what looked like an impact injury in a tackle that he was on it. He suffered in the first half, unable to run it off and came off pretty promptly in the second. Yeah. So that kind of thing, that's the one where you probably have to wait a few days or at least 24 hours for swelling and all that kind of thing. Maybe they they hope he'll be able to face Italy. <laughs> Maybe so. Uh, if that is a hamstring for Hazard, he's done because mm -hmm. um, you're not going to recover in time. Poor guy. Yeah, it's just, the, it's, unfortunately for him, the perfect end to a terrible season, really. I feel like um, every time I look at him, he gets injured. It's also a shame because if you... Belgium have had good moments with this generation and they've threatened to do things, but this is probably the last chance. Yeah. And it's the last chance probably to see players like Hazard and De Bruyne in the same side. It's going to be the last chance for them to be anchored by a Witzel. A Lukaku will be around for a few more years, yes. But As discussed, that back line is yeah, extraordinarily that, old. This is the last tournament most likely. that if in, I can't see them making the World Cup in 18 months' time. Maybe Alderweireld does. Yeah. Dries Mertens won't make another tournament. So you want... You want them to have their their kind of their full arsenal to have a go at it. Um, yeah, I don't know how this team without Hazard and De Bruyne can win the tournament. I just don't think they're strong enough. Um, I think big had blow, this been, big blow. Well, if it had been five years ago, you could make the case. I just think that some of the supporting players. So previously, you had someone like Carrasco or Chadley, and they were good players. Carrasco was a very good player and still is. He's he plays for Atletico Madrid for a reason, but. He's not quite at the level that he was. And so the timing is just off. The timing isn't right to absorb those kind of losses mid-tournament. Mm. And it's just a terrible shame. What happened um, to Adnan Yanazar? Is he not available? No. I just don't think he's quite as good as everyone thought he was going to sure, be. Like he sure. has moments, Adnan Yanazar, but 
Um, I think he's really stuck out this season for Sociedad. Sociedad, but then not in the way that, remember when he first emerged at Manchester United, there was a sort of like... He was the next Cristiano Ronaldo. Exactly. There's going to be a kind of a three-country tussle for his international future. I think there was a three-country tussle. I'm not sure England really... 0.33 expected assists per 90 over the last 365 days. That surprised me. Okay. That gets my attention. Okay. Okay. Well, I retract it. I just, I watching him, I'm never that impressed. I'll put it that way. Maybe that's a problem with me. I'm not sure. According to FB Ref, his closest comparison player is a certain Jack Grealish. Wow. Big and his company. fifth most is Jaden Sancho. Good. That's me. So okay, then that's a... The only thing he doesn't that's one to do watch. is... Well, he doesn't do any defending. Uh, but he doesn't score. Okay, okay. Um, but apart from that... Those numbers still surprise me, though. Sure. I find him... I find him a little bit... I find his influence a little so. bit pulsy. I'll do it right now. Um... But, Pulsy. Okay. Yeah, it's not consistent. It's like a pulsing current rather than sure. a consistent one. Sure. Yeah. A little bit pulsy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Alex. Yes. Belgium play Italy. They do. Go on. Um, I mean, I think Belgium need to switch on a little bit. Ooh. Really? I mean, yeah. it, well, it's, it's going to be very difficult for them. They... I think if you come into a tournament thinking that your talismanic figures are not fit to start with, but will then get there, mm. then you're playing you're playing to keep yourselves in it long enough to get them back. And with players of real quality otherwise. Um, then to lose particularly... De, I think De Bruyne is the big loss here. Sure, I, I, like sure. Hazard's... He's the unlocker of games. He is the unlocker of games. He's able to do the one or two things in the course of a game that nobody else can do. Yeah. And if he is able to connect with Lukaku, then then you've got a striker who's also able to do those things. And that's mm. that's a magic combination I mean, in tournament football. But He's the best player in the world, isn't he? In my opinion, he's the best all-round player most in the world. Complete. Yes. yes, I would say that's correct. He's the player I most enjoy watching yeah. just because he does so many things so well. Yeah. You don't... you you. You're used to players having in the, like you know, a few specialties and a yeah. few sort of traits. De Bruyne does everything well. He does it very yeah. well with both feet as well, yeah. which is I, I think so that's right. right. And and again, that that includes the defensive side of the game. That includes yeah. his pressures, his Big disciplines, time. his organization, and that that is a gaping vacuum for Belgium. Right at the time when they don't need that, when they're about to come up against the side, who yes, okay. They didn't look amazing in their most recent fixture, but they've otherwise been the most consistently yeah. exciting attacking team in the tournament. Um, so, yeah, I would be quite worried for Belgium. Okay. Well, there we go. We're going to be back just after this. We're back! And uh, now we're going to talk about uh, Netherlands, nil, to Czech Republic. Two, Czech Republic. Now, we love surprises. <laughs> we really love surprises, don't we, Seb? Um, because this game was a surprise, the result. The game wasn't a surprise. We knew the game was going to happen. But the result, bit of a surprise. Was it a surprise? I'm saying surprise a lot. Yeah, but that's because it was very surprising, yeah, Joe. There we go. I think there we, we go. watched the first 20 minutes and it looked like it was going to be 3-4-0. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Netherlands peppered the Czech Republic's goal. <laughs> and I said to you at the time, it reminded me a little bit of Italy-Austria in the sense that there was that initial surge of pressure yeah. And Austria survived it, and Czech Republic survived it. And then it was as if the Netherlands didn't quite know what to do after that because yeah. 
Okay, the red card changes the game, and I'm sure we'll get to that later, but this game was swinging in the balance long before that happened, and you felt as if every time, from being a, a sort of, from being a situation where they were happy just to sit and counter and to um, to just have the ball rather than use it, Czechs actually had quite a lot of possession in the first half. They yeah. just were sort of, they weren't particularly adventurous with it. When they started to create um, a couple of chances, so that was the, uh, the Suchek header, which glanced just wide, it felt as if those moments were quite emboldening for them. And at the same time, Netherlands, who came to the tournament without a lot of form and everyone's grown quite positive about in the last few games, as soon as something didn't quite go their way, all the old negativity that we were expecting to see in the mm. group stage came back. And it came back really quickly. Yeah. Um, I was surprised though, and this is another thing I will probably get to in more detail. I was really surprised not to see Veghorst in the starting lineup. Yeah. Just because it felt... I don't know that 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 front two felt gifted and talented, and you know um, we had more technique than they really know, knew what to do with. But I think I would have wanted a, a focal point, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know. They they seem to pay the cost for not having that. I don't quite understand that decision, unless there was an injury that we don't know about, or he wasn't fit enough to play more than I think he got eleven minutes at the end. Yeah, big hulking guy like that. I want him on the pitch, particularly against that opponent, where mm. you think about um, their threat from set pieces yeah. and you know the set piece goal they ultimately did score i think i want someone that looks like that on the pitch even yeah. if it's just for sort of defensive support and so it's a bit surprising no sure well we'll come back to 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 their course uh but the first thing to say really is that the, the sort of crucial moments in this game were instructed by mistakes weren't they said yeah they were Take i me mean through them uh Right. Well, I mean, testing your memory. Okay, so we'll we'll, we'll focus on the sort of the. the it's been a while th- since that game happened. It has been, but I have the notes, which I kind of wrote, but I've forgotten about. There we go. Okay, so the two mistakes which uh, which shaped the game is we're kind of thirty six seconds apart, apparently, and that well, that's what separated. Um, you've just deleted the notes. Thank <laughs> you for that. Um, it's what separated. Um, let's see. Let's see what you remember. Malin running through beautiful passage of play, by the way. It was lovely. So knife through the um, through the midfield and. Then I'm not sure what just was in a position that he wasn't quite sure what to do with, which is strange because I've seen him score those kind of goals in the area divisi. He's a good finisher, Daniel Malin. Um, and then 36 seconds later, uh, Matthias Delict gets busted with a. Um, I don't know how to characterize it because it's quite an unusual situation. A scoop. But it was a scoop. It was a scoop, wasn't it? It was, it a, was a scoop. Scoop it, is the ideal word. It, we were watching the VAR review, and I remember thinking. That's just subtle enough for the referee, if he wants to avoid the big decision, yeah. to kind of to to convince himself that it's not intentional, where it clearly clearly was. Mm. But intentional um, scoop, yeah. And uh, and Gary Neville was quite damning in the commentary because everyone said, "Oh, he's he's been a bit unlucky. He slipped." Gary Neville, and I'm paraphrasing here, said, "Oh, you you never slip as a defender. You just get punished for bad positions." Sure. Which felt kind of harsh, but it was so much of a scoop that when it came back up, it he had three. Whole bits of mint choc chip. He had all sort of that. That was weird. <laughs> but um, also on mistakes. So goalkeeping mistakes, um, which I will talk to Alex about as Joe descends into madness. This is kind of, to me, this that that, that sort of the, the the Czechs opening goal is exactly why most good tournament sides are built on good goalkeeping, because you have a moment where um, there's the fumble which leads to the corner, which yeah. is a really strange moment and then as if he's trying to make up for that mistake he gets a little bit aggressive and chasing the corner to the point where he allows the header back across and then 
it's just it's not a tapping because there are actually three or four Dutch players on the line, which yeah, three. It's actually a pretty good header to 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 find the kind that's of the, very good the, the gap there. But um, that's what costs you. And yeah, it sounds harsh, but it's kind of that's the sort of no, little I, moment that I don't think it sounds. I, it's not harsh because I think if you look, for example, at we talked about this briefly last night, but but Donnarumma, yeah, having almost nothing to do and then pulling Makes a, a stop brilliant save. that a goalkeeper who was incredibly warmed up in the first five minutes would have <laughs> been proud to do. Um, and I think actually the standard of goalkeeping, um, I mean, at the other end in this game, Vlasic was excellent. Hey, uh, really, really good stop off of off, uh, Marlon. Marlon. Well, that's the thing because it's a mistake. He should have, he should have scored. He should have shot. But a step or two earlier, doesn't commit himself. Stands yeah. up really. For, it's, it's a cliche, isn't it? Yeah, you know, stay. You know, stay in a position to make a save for as long as possible. Yeah. And he does that, and he gives the he gives the forward a decision to make. Which a lot of goalkeepers they go down, they kind of present the angle for them for the forward, and he doesn't. And he kind of, I mean, maybe eight times out of ten, Marlon scores. But um, still, that's still credit to the goalkeeper for kind of making him make that last second adjustment. And generally, the goalkeeping in this tournament has been good. I mean, even. Like Danny Ward really impressed me for Wales, for example. And a, a lot of goalkeepers have made good decisions, have been sound in their fundamentals, and have made a couple of good saves when required. Yeah. Um, mm. This was out of character for the goalkeeping standard in the tournament generally, and it really stuck out as a. I mean, for me, the egregious error is the is the spilling for the corner. There's, yeah. there's apps like I don't understand how that happens. He was perfectly positioned. He just it felt to me out. as if he wasn't quite aware of where he was in relation to his goal. So his if you look at um, if you look at his feet when that happens, he's kind of coming across his body a little bit to try and catch the ball. Yeah. He's in a slightly awkward position, and that that leaves him shoveling the ball out for a corner. Yeah. But it's um it's an ugly bit of goalkeeping. Very much so. Yeah, he was a little flaky, wasn't he? Is this a scoop he, throwback? He could use. Getting the cones out to do some training again. Yeah. He. <laughs> Alex, will you tell me about the performance of Thomas Socek? Because he was everywhere, wasn't he? He was. He was. Is he the second most well-rounded footballer in the world after Kevin De Bruyne? Yeah. Um, probably not. His, but he's his ratings are all 99. <laughs> Sorry, go on, go on. That was actually pretty good. Thank that was, you. That was funny. Yeah, you know. Carry on. I, I, yeah. Dare he continue? Hey? Go, on, um, go on. I mean, they're pro. Yeah, there's probably anyway. Um, yeah, I think done. Yeah, Jeez, go. Just start because wet. otherwise it's going to carry right. on. Go. Okay, Suchek, very very good. Genuine box to box midfielder was cropping up all over the pitch, right back, left back. Getting up into the box, I think he took several shots, maybe three shots, from very close to the edge of the area, if not inside the area. He has this height that means that when he arrives late, he's a, a genuine threat yeah. uh, for deliveries. And of course, the Czechs have that ability, particularly from the right back slot with Sufal, to, to sort of drift the ball in. And if you've got a big, not target man, but again, this this sort of, aerial presence who is charging forwards and the dutch yeah they kind of they like daily blint and delicht particularly are they're elegant defenders but mm. they're not aggressive defenders i mean delicht is not a small guy but they're not 
they're not rugged. They're, it's not somebody clashing with a Pepe. They're, they're not, not Ruben, Ruben Diaz. Bonucci. Yeah. Right, Ruben Diaz, yeah. for example. Yeah. So I think that was something that the Czechs exploited really, really well. Positionally, I thought Suchek and um, Hollas, the way that after that early Dutch salvo, they just dropped a little bit further back, a little bit closer to their back four to stop those late runs was really, really effective. Mm. Um, and they are, again, you know, this kind of harps on about things that I've said before, but constructing teams for this kind of football tournament, they have all the ingredients. They have a good goalkeeper. They have people that are a threat from set pieces. They have really good defensive defensive structure and organisation. Yeah. And they have a striker who's in form. And a talismanic player. Yeah. And and if you have all of that stuff together, mm. you don't need to have the individual quality of a Bernardo Silva or a Bruno yeah. Fernandes because you have organisation, you have a big informed striker and you can score from set pieces. Well, on informed striker, Patrick mm. Schick, four goals now, Seb. Four goals. And He's in four, danger of running away with the golden boot. Well, also four different goals. Yeah, true. Um, and interesting, we, we spoke a, a little bit about Kasper Dolberg last night, and Schick is in a slightly similar category because when he was at Sampdoria, he was, and like, bear with me because you know, obviously this tag is a little bit overused, he was the next Zlatan Ibrahimovic. That's mm-hmm. how he was discussed. Um, and, you know, that's he had that sort of tall, rangy um, thing going on. And he's never quite, obviously he's not the next Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but he's never quite ascended to that level of the game. Yeah, um, He's been a little bit nomadic. He's been at Leverkusen and Leipzig and Roma, and he's probably had a few too many clubs given how young he still is. Um, but he's played really well, and he's also he's shown the range to his game. I think had he only scored that um, 48-yard goal against Scotland, it would still be a very memorable moment. But I think in a way, it's almost as if that goal was so bizarre and so unique that it's disguised how good he's actually been um, and how versatile his goal scoring has been. And, and um, terrific. I thought, actually, I know it was sort of the game was um, kind of petering out by this stage anyway, but I, th- I felt like his goal today almost, I, I think that was the best catch of what he's good at. Lovely, deft, soft finish, but also really good movement, anticipation for where the gap in a defense is. Yeah. I didn't know he had that in his game. Like I knew that Super he was smart. Yeah. I, I, I always saw him as someone that could score spectacular goals. I didn't see him as a spectacular goal scorer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, he's, he's also, and I think this is the kind of thing that you get from, from forwards who excel at somewhere like Leipzig and then somewhere like Leverkusen. Yeah. Is you expect physically dynamic, good pressers who are probably as much there to create space for other people as they are to get on the end of things themselves. Use of Paulson, basically. Right, yeah. a use of Paulson. And and I think that he does do that, and he does that quite effectively, and he creates a bit of space for Derrida to, to kind of move the ball around a bit. But he clearly has this other element to his game, which probably, I don't know, if we watch Leverkusen week in, week out, we might see bits of this. But I think it's been a nice surprise for somebody who... Yeah. isn't as constantly in Bundesliga football as yeah. I think like one of the problems for him has been being at Leverkusen because that's been a very strange environment um, over the last year and there's there's all sorts of players there who have kind of dropped in and out of form and um, sort of out of the spotlight think of someone like Leon Bailey 
three or four years ago, he is yeah. heading to the very top of the game. Yeah. People have kind of forgotten about him. Also, um, also a couple of obviously extremely key players leaving in the last couple of years. You yeah, absolutely. They've been in that yeah. strange situation also where you've got um, sort of a, a core of a side who are getting older mm -hmm. and then you've got a group of very young players who are very good, but you've got this big gap in the middle and it's, yeah. um, I'm by no means an expert on Leverkusen or the Bundesliga, but that's been a kind of a layman observation on it. Um, they were my 2019 difficult. FIFA team. Yeah, I remember this. You, yeah, you did. Really what was them. that? What was it about them that you enjoyed? I don't know. Pace, because they would have had Bailey. They were just they they, they had lots of um, good technical dynamic players. They had good options in all the in all positions, and you could do loads of different things with them. They're a great a sort of like well. throwback mm -hmm. to um, early two thousands for like old school football manager players as well. Yeah. And that was when the kind of the Neverkusen thing came around mm. where they they got to like, I, I don't know if it was a Champions League final or semi-final. They, they also lost the Pockel final in the same year. Yeah. They were runners up in the Bundesliga and like they, and they had a fabulously talented squad and just fell short in everything. Sounds like an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer team. Okay. That was, just going to gloss over that one. Uh, that was a great team. That was the um, that was they were in the final when Zidane scored his very famous goal, where his, his volley at Hampden Park. Mm. That was against Leverkusen, yeah. and that was uh, beyond the obvious. Like you, you had um, Mikhail Balak was in that team. Oliver Neuville, Yuri Bashturk was a wonderful player. Uh, Hans Jörg Burton goal. He used to take penalties as well occasionally. Yeah. Um, go and look that one up if you're younger. But yeah, like Leverkusen, strange place. And I feel like under if all of the, if all of those players were performing at the right level and they were under the right management and Leverkusen were had some sort of momentum. Maybe Patrick Schick does quite well there, but he just feels a little bit of a victim of circumstance. But it's it's really nice to see him play well because yeah. you, you see the range of his talent, which is really cool. Sure. We could see him in the Premier League, definitely. Yeah, maybe. What's his level in the Premier League, though? Um, I don't think he's... Not I allowed to say Everton. Everyone always says Everton. I don't always say Everton. Not you, you, you just everyone. That's me. I'm everyone. Oh, right. Okay. Um, he's not currently a top six as in a big, like a super league six rather than the actual top six kind of player currently. If he has a real acceleration over the next season, he could be that, but he is, I think he does somewhere well at somewhere like West Ham, West Ham, Leeds. I think he'd do well. You say at Leeds. Leeds for everyone. No, no, he I would. I like Leeds. I think that would be. I think uh, he would be exceptional at Southampton. Not that he'd ever join us. Mm. No. Um, all right. Well, there we go. <laughs> Coming from a team who can't even get a manager. Actually, that's a great shout, Villa. Um, Villa you forget in the chat. just sort of Villa are very much um, on the up and being ambitious in the transfer market. Would he start though? I don't know. I, I don't. I'm, I'm not thinking of him actually joining Villa. I just sure. think that would be an interesting move. Well, if, if they, they lose have Grealish, Watkins. they can shift Watkins out to the left and yeah. have him tearing inside and play Shake through the middle. Be tough on Watkins, though, wouldn't he? He's had a great season. Anyway, this is we have derailed so far. We are sure. Yeah, we're about from two the months point into the future. I'm about to ask you uh, the final question here. Really, is um, da, 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 Wout Veghorst? Um, yes. His omission, Alex. It was a little bit surprising. I mean, perhaps there was an injury concern, or maybe he was tired, or it was just rotation, or. But um, he's been he's been good to watch this uh, this tournament. And yeah. Surprised not to see him. I very surprised. The only thing I can think of is that De Boer was maybe trying to be a little bit too clever mm. thought the checks would sit deep but give space in behind that those two 
Uh, and I, Memphis had some absolutely delightful touches in sure, this game. Sure. Um, but those two could isolate and run at two centre-backs who are not particularly fast. Yeah. Whereas if you're a big physical centre-back, sometimes you go, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll take playing against the big target man. I don't want some little tricky winger running at me. But what it meant was that the Netherlands couldn't get anybody in the box. Um, yeah. They had two players who naturally drift off. Uh, Marlon has played as a winger as well and does have this tendency to start in a wider position and cut inside. Him and Depay at uh, Memphis were often occupying similar kinds of spaces. Once the checks dropped off and were able to stop Wijnaldum and his weird crab-like run, yeah, uh, which I became increasingly you took about obsessed half an hour to get over, over that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was very strange. Well, I'd never really kind of studied Wijnaldum to that degree, but yeah, he it's very strange. He runs like I expect a paratrooper to run, you know, with like these big shoulders. Um, they they cut that off by by diminishing the space in front of the back four. And all of a sudden, the absence of a target man like Veghorst becomes incredibly clear. Yeah. Because there isn't anybody penning those defenders back. And the only way that you create space between a back four and a midfield two is you force the defenders physically backwards. Mm. Um, because you can't really get the midfielders to go forwards. You can kind of lure them in a little bit. But a little bit they, of coaxing. But yeah, but they're going to be... Con- if they're playing that way already, yeah, they're going to be content to give you the ball... And let you play it around. And as long as you don't yeah. penetrate that middle bit, yeah. it's fine. Um, again, if the Dutch were able to have someone like Veghorst pulling those defenders around, it would make the crossing game more effective. It would mean that they could cross from a deeper position if they couldn't work the ball closer up to the way uh, to the check box. Like, I just didn't understand it. I, okay. I, it so was a mistake. Czech Republic and Denmark in the uh, the quarterfinals. One of those teams is going to make it to the semis. Two finely balanced teams, you feel. Uh, quick thoughts there, please. Penalties. Penalties. <laughs> no, because honestly, I, I think they are, uh, for different reasons, obviously, they are the two surprise packages. Originally, we thought Denmark might do quite well. Um, obviously, circumstances changed, and they've done quite well as a result of that, mm. because of those. Um, Czech Republic... I don't know. I, I All I'm left thinking, actually, Joe, is, goodness, England did well to beat that side. I know not everything is about England. We're not trying to make yeah. it so... No, everything is about England, I just to be clear. <laughs> at least I, in this podcast. I just, I, I can't separate those two because I, I think potentially, I think they match up quite well. I think they can cause problems for each other. Um, I'm very, very impressed with both. The Czechs particularly, I, I didn't think, well, from what we will soon reveal in points are bad. I don't think any of us saw that coming. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that will go on for a long, long time. That's going to be one of those games that leaves us here until about one in the morning, I think. Okay. Yeah. Good to so know. Let's, uh, let's get some sleep in ahead of that one, maybe. Well, of course, it is time now to return to points are bad. Points are very bad. Points are and bad. Point, I've got many extra points today. I'm really widening that gap with my risk-taking, as discussed yesterday. Uh, but we'll kick things off as usual with uh, the front runner, the front runner, the front leader, the leader of the pack, out ahead. Uh, we can see his bottom. It's Alex Stewart. There he is uh, on uh, 78 points. Well done. Yeah. You didn't have a brilliant day today, but you did okay. Sorry. You did predict uh, extra time in one game. I did. Had a little uh, sort of, you know, little Don't know dance, what came over me. There. I just went all extreme for a minute. It very nearly went to extra time. 
Points yeah. are misunderstood, says Exton Smithy. No, they're, they're just, just bad. bad. They're just they're bad. They're just bad. Uh, next up is, of course, uh, homebound JJ today, who'll be in uh, tomorrow uh, on 84. The gap has widened to six now. It's widened to six. He predicted a Portugal 2-1 win today. I thought it was seven yesterday. Well, then it's shortened to six. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's shortened. Well, then it's, sure, yeah, it's shortened to six, whatever it is. It's widened, it's shortened. We're in the middle of the universe. These things are all perspective-based, aren't they? Yeah. Nothing's real. Uh, next up is Seb, 86. There you go. You're a good old two points behind JJ. You could be pulling this back into second place. Yeah. You could. You've My- even got a shout for first, potentially. Would have to start playing my sort of extra time and penalties card at some yeah. point, but I' gonna 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 be calm there. I'm not going to uh, not going to gamble at this point. Well, um, one reason for your uh, calmness is that there is no longer a threat from me. I would say. Have you breached the hundred point? Barrier? Not quite. I'm very ever so close. Yeah. I've got ninety eight points. Uh, I'm twelve behind you now. Quite deep. I've really been trying with my uh, predictions, and it's just I've getting worse out. the harder I try. I've worked out what the problem is with your predictions. Mm-hmm. You predict they're rubbish. No, no. well, yes, I predict with my heart. You predict the game you want to see, yes. not what you think is going to happen. <laughs> that's exactly what I do. So you sketch out yeah. three, two games that somehow also go to penalties, <laughs> and that's that's what you're hoping for when you bound into the office. And as a measure of this, so today we we we, we sat down to watch Portugal against Belgium. And among the five of us in the office, all socially distanced, I think we spent a good 25 minutes discussing what film you might watch when you got yeah. home. And the only, uh, the only sort of rule about the film is that it had to have Will Smith in it. And zombies. And it had to scare you a little bit, but not too but much. But not too much. And also not enough should be happening so that I have to watch it. because zombies aren't real. No ghosts. Yes. But ghosts are not ghosts fine are scary. because ghosts, ghosts are, scary. are everywhere. Ghosts really scare Joe. Ghosts are scary, but zombies are fine because they're not real. Uh, anyway, I'm on 98 points, so that's really good. Let's very quickly now just predict our uh, games for tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, another big day of football in football land, Alex. Football, football, football. Uh, Croatia, Spain, please. Oh, 2-1. Two, two, one. One. There no, he goes. Watch him predict 2-1 for everything because he right. knows that's the tactic. Come on, be okay. a bit adventurous. Let JJ and, and Seb back into the game. Yeah, 2-0 Spain. Well, that was a mistake, wasn't it? There he goes. Uh, France, Switzerland, please. Um, now, remember, the favourites haven't been winning games, so I'd go for Switzerland if I were you. <laughs> I mean, I'm all for fair play, but that's... Uh, also, Harris Seferovic is playing, so that's yeah. that's goals. Yeah. Well, yes. Actually, goals it is. everywhere. Actually, goals. it is. Yeah, actually, it is. Go, 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 um, go, go. go, go. I'm 3-0 France and a Switzerland red card. Oh, well, that's just for fun. Not That's, part of the predictions game, but I enjoy that you threw it in there. Okay, well, and you, you don't can want give penalties me an or extra, extra time. point if it doesn't happen. No, there'll be there'll, you won't get any of that. Uh, here is Seb Stafford Bloor with uh, Croatia Spain. One 0 Croatia. Oh. Penalties. <laughs> I can see you're embracing the game yeah, now, yeah, Seb. You're embracing the yeah, game, yeah, and it makes me so happy. Should, and I'll say two France, nil, Switzerland. Two 0 France. Two 0 France. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna say uh, Spain. 1-0, and I'm going to say uh, France, 1-0. That's it. Okay. That's it. I'm trying the 1-0 game. He's going tactical. I'm yeah, going tactical. Well, yeah, I've got 98 points. I'm 20 behind you. Yeah, I'm exactly 20 points behind you. Tactical's fine. I don't think there are enough games left for me to finish first at this point, so maybe I should really be pushing out 
Pushing the boat out. Should I push the boat out? I mean, I, I could, feel like you could done. start picking seven nils. I mean, Joe's pushed a lot of boats. Maybe I'm going to push away from nah, shore. I'll, I'll play it safe for one more day. And if things don't go my way, left, so. I'm going to push the boat out. All right, that's it now. It's all over for today. We'll be back again tomorrow to discuss those games. Uh, we'll be joined by uh, JJ Bull. And Alex, you'll be back uh, for the semi, for the quarterfinals. Aren't you? You're doing the two quarterfinal days with us, I believe. So that'll be that's fun. That's right. Friday. Yeah. yeah. Friday and Saturday. There we go. Alex Stewart, thanks for today. Always a pleasure, Joe. Never a chore. And Seb Stafford Bloor. Thank you, Joe Devine. Well done to you. Thank you very much. And to you, sir. Very proud of you. Yeah, as I am of you. Uh, thanks, as usual, to our uh, crack production team of Craig and Sol. And uh, there's uh, Sol's hand. What a lovely hand that is. We'll be back tomorrow. Au revoir, guten tag, uh, danke schön, and uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Tschüss.